Well, good morning and welcome to 2019. I'm glad you survived the holidays and all that has entailed in those days. I'm glad you're here. It's good to be back with God's family together. You know, personally, as I look forward to 2019, I have to confess, this is a big year in the Bechtel household. There's a lot going on, a lot of transitions. Um, first, our, our, our oldest bio daughter, Elizabeth, uh, is going to start her last semester of high school tomorrow. That's a big deal for Dad. Um, I will be graduating from my 40s this year. We will be celebrating 25 years, a quarter century of being married together. Um, my wife quit her job of four years uh, this a couple weeks ago, and tomorrow she will be, begin student teaching out in Arlington Heights. And this is just a couple of the things that are going on in my family. If I look back at 2018 and beyond, and I look at the life of our church, we can see that there's even more transition that's been happening. It seems like everything in our church, from our lead pastor to our elders to our staff to our members to even our culture, things are changing. Just to give you an example, it was about three years ago... um, We brought on some new elders in January, and up to that point, I had been the second youngest elder on the board for most of those years. Well, in the span of three years, uh, starting at this January meeting, um, actually, just so you know, Norm Blair will be stepping off the board. He's been serving faithfully and fruitfully for about 12 years. And with Norm stepping off, in three years, I go from being the second youngest to being the oldest elder. That's change. That's changed at an incredibly rapid speed. If you stop and think about it, that's pretty amazing what's been happening in the life of our church. Not good, not bad. It's just change. And you know, in the midst of transition, you know, it's easy for uncertainty to to settle in. I confess it's easy for me to begin to maybe fear and lose focus. And I'm not going to lie. In the middle of all the transition, everything that's been going on with my family at church, it's easy for me to fall into that trap, to be afraid and to question things. What am I doing here? What are we doing here? What's my place at EBF? What, what is this thing called church? What does it mean to do church together? Well, a few months ago, at the, at the height of my transitional angst, the Lord used my friend Bruce to help me see why we're here. I don't know if you know, Bruce usually sits right up there. He's been attending EBF for, for 19 years. And this fall, we started getting together to help each other with our anxiety. And at one of our first meetings, we were going over uh, Philippians 4, 6. Very famous passage. You guys know it. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And we started to talk about gratitude and what a wonderful weapon it is in fighting anxiety. And I paused and I looked at Bruce and I said, Bruce, what are you thankful for? And he bowed his head and he got quiet. And if you spend any one-on-one time with Bruce, you know that's not a normal thing for him. And he thought. And he lifted up his head and he looked at me and he said, I'm thankful that in 1981, Jesus saved me.
And it was one of the biggest God mic drops in my life. That's why we're here. That's why I'm here. That's why we are here. Susan, Jesus saved you. Bethany, Jesus saved you. Amy, Jesus saved you. We are saved. We are rescued. Joan, Jesus saved you. I don't want to lose this moment. We are a rescued people. That is why we are here. 1973, Jesus saved me. And that's the local church. And that's Evanston Bible Fellowship. We are a rescued people gathered to make much of our rescuer. Let me say that again. We are a rescued people gathered to make much of our rescuer. So that's what we're going to do this month. Right in the middle of this transition with our lead pastor, we're going to look at this thing called church. And we're going to look at the, at the beginning. And we're going to look through the book of Acts. So this week we're going to look at the marks of the church, what rescued people should care about and be about. Next week we'll be looking at the management of the church, the role of elders and deacons and the part they play in protecting and unifying the church. The following week, January 20th, we'll examine the mission of the church using Acts 1 as a jumping off point. What does it mean to be witnesses for Jesus? On January 27th, we will look at the objective or the end game of the church, that is worship, why it is so important to us as, as, a, as a church and as individuals. EBF family, we are a rescued people gathered to make much of our rescuer. Well, how can we make much of Jesus in this season of transition? Well, again, I'd like us to, to look at the very beginning of this thing called church, so please turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Now we're going to be focusing primarily on verses 42 to 47, but in order to understand this and understand what's happening, we need to set the scene and uh, make sure we get that, that right. So as you're turning, I just want to do, I'm going to do a quick run through of the, the first part of the chapter. The scene is, is set in Jerusalem. It's Pentecost. Pentecost is a Jewish holiday celebrating the spring harvest primarily of wheat and it's celebrated every year exactly 50 days after Passover. It's also a pilgrim festival, and that means that according to Jewish law, all Jewish men would, would uh, be required to come to Jerusalem from all over the known world. It was a joyous and a raucous scene. It was a celebratory uh, festival. So just imagine the streets of Jerusalem are clogged with thousands and thousands of pilgrims who would come from every point of the compass to celebrate the goodness of God in bringing in the harvest. And in the middle of this, we have 120 followers of Jesus gathered together. They had spent 40 days with the resurrected Jesus, and they had just recently watched him ascend into heaven. They had been given orders by him to be his witnesses, and they were waiting for this promise, the promised gift of God himself, the coming of the Holy Spirit. And one morning as they're praying, the Holy Spirit, again, God himself, the third person of the Godhead, fell on them like a firestorm, and they immediately went out and began to witness, just like Jesus had told them. But only this time they were miraculously witnessing in languages of all people who had gathered in Jerusalem. And the people were amazed. 
And some assumed that they were drunk. They couldn't believe this was happening. So refuting the claims of being drunk, Peter launches into one of the most powerful and effective sermons of all time. Now look with me at the sermon. I'm not going to read it, but just look at verse 16 to 22. Just look at that right now. Peter starts his sermon in verse 16 by quoting the prophet Joel, where we see God pouring out his spirit on his people. And he ends the section in verse 21 with the declaration, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. In verses 22 to 29, Peter lifts up this same Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, by declaring that he is confirmed by his works. He was crucified by men. He was raised by God and defeated death. And then he quotes King David himself as David prophetically proclaims his hope is in Jesus, his life is from Jesus, and his joy is through Jesus. David foresaw and proclaimed the very resurrection and exaltation of Jesus, which has led to the promised sending of the Holy Spirit. Peter culminates this by making much of Jesus in verse 36 with the proclamation that Jesus is both Lord and Christ. He is God and he is Messiah. He is maker and he is rescuer. You see, Peter has been rescued and empowered by the Spirit. He is making much of his rescuer. And look what happens when he does that. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, everyone whom our Lord God calls to himself. And with many words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about three thousand souls. Empowered by the Spirit, Peter made much of his rescuer, and many, many, many others were rescued that very day. And over the next 2,000 years, this message proclaimed by Peter has been faithfully guarded and shared and passed on. People continue to be rescued, and people continue to make much of their rescuer. And that's why we're here, because people have been rescued and made much of their rescuer to us. That's why Bruce was so profound on that fall morning at Old Orchard. People, we have been rescued. By the power of the Holy Spirit, more people continue to be rescued in the middle of this major transition when we don't have a lead pastor. Let's not forget that. Let's not forget who we are. We are a rescued people gathered to make much of our rescuer. It's our turn. It's our time. So how do we make much of our rescuer right now in 2019? Well, again, I want to continue in the book of, book of Acts, looking at ch- starting at chapter 42. We're going to see the marks of this first church, and hopefully you're going to be encouraged um, to, to make more of your rescuer. We can be encouraged to make more of our rescuer together. So let's dive into verse 42. So after they've all been saved from all over the world, these 3,120 people are together. And what do they do? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. 
they gather to make much of their rescuer. But, but notice the, the word that is used here to describe their attention and affection towards Jesus. It's devotion. Devotion isn't half-hearted, and it isn't partial. It's both persevering and it's constant. It's both intention and it's action. They were all in. But it's important to notice what they were devoting themselves to. They were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. It's really important to get this here. They were not devoting themselves to the apostles. They were not devoted to Peter. They weren't devoted to the apostles. They were devoted to the teaching. You see, an apostle simply means a sent one. That means that you and I, we are part of an apostolic movement. We've received a message of rescue. Um, we've been rescued. And now we're sent out to share this same message of rescue. They devoted themselves to this teaching, the received message. And, so, and today we have the complete message, this complete teaching of the apostles in our hands at all times. God's word. Scholar Edmund Clowney puts it this way. To compromise the authority of Scripture is to destroy the apostolic foundation of the church. The physical continuity of a line of pastor elders back to, the, to Christ's apostles is insignificant compared to the continuity between the teaching in churches today and the teaching of the apostles. Only with the apostles' teaching is the church, as Paul describes it in Timothy, the pillar and foundation of truth. These rescued people made much of their rescuer by making much of his message a rescue. And what is that message? Well, I can't say it any better than John can. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is our apostolic message. That is what we are called to share so that others may be rescued. And may that be so of us today. But more than just being devoted to the message of the rescuer, they were devoted to remembering what they had done for him. Notice they also were devoted to the breaking of bread. Now, we can talk all day long about how they conducted this breaking of bread service, this breaking of bread meal, but the intent is clear in sharing a meal together uh, like this and doing what Jesus had told them to do. If you remember what Jesus had told them the night he was betrayed, he said to take the bread and to take the cup and to do this in remembrance of him. They devoted themselves to knowing the rescuer's message, and they devoted themselves to remembering his rescuing work. And we're going to have the opportunity in a few minutes to do just that. So we will participate in the process of remembering Jesus' rescuing work. But more than that, what did they do? They devoted themselves to prayer. Prayer is seeking and praising their rescuer. They were all in. They devoted themselves to knowing him, to remembering him, and to spending time with him, and seeking his will and praising him. They asked him, they praised him for his rescue, and they asked him to continue to rescue them. This was their primary focus. They made much of their rescuer by seeking to know him, remember him, seek him, and praise him. If we stop right here, we step out of the text. Uh, this isn't meant to be a, I don't have a how-to. I'm not trying to guilt trip you. I just want to ask, simply ask the question, how would 2019 look? If you devoted yourself to knowing Jesus and his message more deeply. If you devoted yourself to remembering his work in your life more regularly. And you devoted yourself to seeking him and praising him more earnestly and consistently. What if you were persevering and constant in both intention and action this year?
to make much of Jesus? How would you be different? How would we be different? It's a question for you to ask yourselves later. So these rescued people were totally in on making much of Jesus. But look at what else marked them. Verse 43. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. These rescued people were full of wonder. And they came together expectantly. They came together and expected to see their rescuer come through in mind-blowing and miraculous ways. God was moving it was awesome. But John, God doesn't perform these type of miracles today, right? Does this really apply to us? How can we, how can we understand this? How can we be in awe nowadays? How dare it? How dare we? How dare I? Think that someone turning from death to life, to being made new, to moving from enmity with God to becoming his child is boring and old. How dare I not be in awe and wonder when a believer chooses what is good and right and becomes more like Jesus right in front of my eyes? How dare I not celebrate when God cures us from our diseases and sicknesses, whether miraculously or medically? God shows up. God has shown up. God will continue to show up. How dare we not stand speechless by the way God has protected and provided for us, even in the midst of this transition. You see, God's rescue mission to humanity only becomes more miraculous the further along we move in this mission. Brothers and sisters, there is no boring testimony. I was blind, but now I see. You were lost, but now you're found. I was once God's enemy through sin, but now I'm his child. It's adopted child. You were dead. Now you're alive. God is still in the miracle business. It's us with our dull eyes and our hardened hearts who need to wake up. What if every Sunday in 2019, we, his rescued ones, came here with a sense of wonder and expectancy at what God would do, what God is doing, and what if we ask God to open our eyes to the wonders that he's performing each and every day around us? May we as rescued people make much of our rescuer by knowing that he has done great things and believing that he will continue to do great things in us and in the world. Back to Acts 2. Not only were these rescued folks all in about understanding And seeking their rescuer, not only were they coming together with wonder and expectancy, but they were making much of their rescuer by being devoted to one another. Look at verses 44 to 46. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts 
Now remember the context here. These rescue people had come from all over the known world. They didn't have homes, they didn't have food, they didn't have clothes, so they needed to share. So I, I don't want to say that we, the, the application here is that we all are called to live in a commune. That's not, that, I don't think that's what the text is saying. But I think there's some very clear principles that we need to understand that Mark rescued people. And I, I have four, four markers, I think, that for rescued people from this text that would be valuable for us to consider in our own lives. The people in Acts 2 valued people over possessions. They, were, they looked out for the needs of others, placing those needs above their own. They worshiped God together, making much of Jesus in front of one another. And they practiced hospitality with joy and generosity. They valued people over possessions. They looked out for the needs of others, placing those needs above their own. And they worshiped God together, making much of Jesus with each other. Practicing hospitality, and they also practiced hospitality with joy and generosity. Well, what about us? Let's be honest. In times of transition, it can be very, very, very tempting to focus on our own needs, our own agendas, our own time, and our own stuff. But that's not what Mark's rescued people. If we want to make much of Jesus as we search for a new lead pastor in 2019, we need to stick together and be devoted to one another as we never have. Just like these people from all over the known world did together at the start of the church, all of us in this room from all over the known world, we need to value each other more than our own time and possessions. We need to look out for each other and prioritize the needs of others over our own. We need to worship well together. You see, praising God in front of one another helps us all make much of him. There's something about seeing somebody else worshiping God in spirit and truth with all their might when I'm having a difficult time that helps me. And brothers and sisters, we need to practice hospitality and welcome one another into our homes and our lives like we never have before. This being devoted to one another isn't simply something that we should strive for. It's a command, and it's a call on our lives from Jesus himself. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus said, said this, a new commandment I give to you, in John 13, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all the world will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You see, as rescued people in 2019 here in Evanston, being devoted to one another means we're obeying the commands of Jesus and making much of him. And it means we are pointing the watching world to our rescuer. That is making much of him. They also made much of their rescuer by worshiping well and living wisely. Look at the first part of verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all people. They praise God. One of my favorite Hebrew words um, for praise or worship or to glorify is the word kavod. I love that word. It literally means to make something big. I love that word picture. Not because I'm big, but I love that word picture. 
You see, when we praise him, we are making him big. We're allowing him to fill the space that he deserves in our lives. We're giving him the value that he deserves, the worth that he deserves, and the position that he deserves. We allow him to fill a horizon. And the things of earth somehow grow strangely dim, don't they? There's power in praising God. There's power in praising God together. I'm so grateful for those who lead us in doing that well here at EBF. But more than simply vertically appraising God, they also uh, had a horizontal component to, to how they were living well. They had favor with all people. You see that in verse 47. You see, making much of a rescuer means we not only devote ourselves to praising God, but we also prioritize others. Uh, we prioritize others who have been rescued. But outside of the, the, the family of rescued people, we must pursue honest and honorable interactions with those who have not yet been rescued. See, these folks were pursuing honest and honorable interactions with those who had not yet been rescued. And this is still our call today. The world was watching then, and the world is watching now. And may we be known in 2019 as wise and kind and honest here in Evanston. And finally, and this is mo- probably most comforting to me as a pastor of Evanston Bible Fellowship in this transition. We make much of our rescuer when we leave outcomes to him. And the Lord, and the Lord added daily to those who were being saved. The Lord did it. It's not our jobs to do the outcomes. It's not our job to control what happens. Our job is to be faithful, to love him, to love one another. There's no need to strive in this transition. There's no need to fret. There's no need to worry. The Holy Spirit, God himself, is going to see us through. He will continue to lead and guide us, and he will have his way here at EBF. And our role, just like the first church, is clear. We're to devote ourselves to knowing Jesus and his message We're to devote ourselves to remembering Jesus and his work. We're to devote ourselves to seeking Jesus through prayer. We are called to come together expectantly. We are called to care for one another selflessly, joyfully, and generously. We are called to make much of Jesus with our praise and honor him in the world through our righteous conduct. And finally, we are called to rely on the Holy Spirit to do all of these things in us and through us. Come, Holy Spirit. Help us, Evanston Bible Fellowship, to live out these marks of rescued people in our own lives together and as a church. May we as your people make much of you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in the midst of everything that 2019 has in store for us. Let us pray. Father God, may we be people who are devoted to you, to your teaching, to remembering what you have done on our behalf. May we be in awe of what you have done. May we be expectant of what you are going to continue to do. 
May we value each other over our possessions. May we worship well. May we live well with others. May we be glad and generous in our hearts. Father, may we trust you to do your work in your will, in your way. In Jesus' name, amen. We have the opportunity to make much of Jesus right now in several ways. First, we're going to be taking up our offering, and we can make much of him by giving back to him out of what he has so graciously already given us. And with that, I'd like to invite the ushers to come forward to take up the offering. And as the plates are being passed, I, as I mentioned before, we're going to move into time of communion. This is the Lord's table, the communion meal. This is what we do in remembrance of Jesus, what he commanded us to do when he took, at the Last Supper, he took the cup and he took the bread and he said, eat and drink in remembrance of me. We have the opportunity right now to make much of Jesus, remembering who he is and what he did on our behalf and giving him thanks and the praise that he is due. We're going to be singing some songs, and as you feel led, simply come through the, the, the center aisles, take the bread, dip it in the cup, and remember Jesus and praise him. We have a gluten-free option in this corner. We want you to come as you feel led. Come as a rescued people. Also during this time of communion, we are going to worship with wonder and expectancy. If you like prayer for healing or any other type of issue, the elders and their wives will be spread around the outside of this room. Let's trust God with 2019. Let's seek him. Let's let him reign and rule in our lives. So come now as God's rescue people. Come make much of Jesus. Remember him at the table. Seek him through prayer. Praise him through song and be in awe of his works. Amen.